0: Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly, challenging as well. I wanna invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch Church Online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. In the movie Elf, the main character, played by Will Ferrell, accidentally makes his way uh, to the North Pole as a baby where he's discovered and raised by Santa's elves. They name him Buddy and he grows up in Santa's workshop. As he gets older, he realizes that he doesn't fit in, uh, primarily because of his huge height. But then he finds out why. He, He learns that he's actually a human, not an elf. and This leads him on a journey to connect with his biological dad in New York City. While it was fun to live in the North Pole and be raised by elves, this wasn't his true identity. Buddy the Elf wasn't an elf, he was a human. In the Christmas story, we see the Kingdom of Heaven kissing the earth through the birth of Jesus. It's the story of God and human flesh. This is what Christmas is all about. It's when love came down to rescue us. and This is why the Gospel narrative is good news. But in order for you to see the good news, you have to receive the bad news first. The bad news is that because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we all inherited a sin nature. This sin nature isn't just a little white lie or a small mistake that deserves a slap on the wrist or five minutes in the timeout chair. Before a holy and righteous God, our sin is a grievance against Him. Because God is a righteous and just God, He cannot allow our sin to go unpunished. No more than a righteous judge can let the murder of an innocent person go unpunished. So God does the unthinkable. God puts on flesh. He enters His creation in the person and work of Jesus Christ with the sole mission of absorbing God's wrath and redeeming the creation that He loves. This is what we call the doctrine of incarnation, that God became incredibly human. It's what we so regularly see portrayed during Christmas time in window shops And probably on your windowsill, little baby Jesus, wrapped in a cloth, lying in a manger. Christmas is when we remember the lengths by which God went to demonstrate His love towards us. The lengths by which He would go in order to redeem lowly, rebellious, wayward sinners like you and me. We read the Christmas narrative as according to the Gospel of Luke, and it reads this way. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want you guys to envision this most humble scene. The God of the universe enters into his own creation as an infant. He's laid in a manger, not even placed in a crib or in a bassinet or on a mattress. The king of heaven is gently placed in a manger. And how did it happen? It was through a miracle. It was by means of the miraculous. Because as through one man sent into the world, it would need to be resolved by one man. But as I mentioned earlier, this sinful nature is inherited by birth. So this man cannot come by natural means, but by supernatural means. God chooses a young woman by the name of Mary who was a virgin. And through the Holy Spirit, Mary becomes pregnant and gives birth to Jesus. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus the Christ who would eventually take the sins of the world between two nail-pierced hands and redeem mankind through one selfless sacrificial act. Entirely God, entirely human. And throughout the Gospels, one of Jesus' favorite ways to refer to himself is Son of Man. He's referred to as the Son of Man 88 times in the New Testament. And this saying alludes to this fact that Jesus was God incarnate. He was Emmanuel, God among us. And as I was re-watching Elf and saw the struggle Buddy had with discovering his humanity, it reminded me of this most amazing fact. That God put on flesh and became human, so that He could perfectly uphold the law and die on my behalf. What does it mean that Jesus was the Son of Man? Four big ideas that I want to pull out from the Scriptures today and help us understand. Number one is this. It is evidence of Jesus' humanity. The fact that Jesus repeatedly referred to Himself as the Son of Man is a reminder to us of His humanity. There's a couple of wrong different schools of thought that teach either A, Jesus was fully man, but not God, or B, Jesus was fully God, but not man, and only appeared to have a body, kind of like a ghost. Both of these teachings go entirely against the teaching of the Bible. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, Jesus had flesh and bones like you and me. And Maybe you're asking yourself, well, Danny, what's the big deal? It's actually a really big deal for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is because as being born under the law, we have broken the law. So it requires one to be born under the law, but perfectly fulfill it in order to be able to redeem us from it. And This is what Paul writes in the book of Galatians when he says this, When the time came to completion, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, Jesus was physically born under the law in order to redeem us, who were also born under the law. Another reason the humanity of Jesus is important is because God had established the shedding of blood as a means of forgiveness of sin. This is why in the Old Testament we read about the sacrificing of sheep and goats. and This is the point that the author of Hebrew makes in chapter 9. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But now Jesus has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. If Jesus didn't have a natural physical body, then there wouldn't have been the shedding of blood and thereby we wouldn't have been forgiven of our sin. And lastly, another reason why the humanity of Jesus is important is because it allows him to be able to relate to us And this is the case that is also made in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We have a God who can relate to us. He knows what it's like to be tempted, to deal with pain, hurt, and grief. You know that feeling you feel when you're betrayed? Jesus knows that too. There's a level of relatability that Jesus has because He can sympathize with our weakness. He has been tempted as we are, yet He was without sin. As you remember this Christmas season, Jesus, the Son of Man, we bring to mind the fact that our God is not one who is distant and far removed, but that He is near, He is close. In other religions, their gods or deities are far removed or like abusive, deadbeat fathers. Our God is one who is close and understands us. Who can not only be known by us, but who knows us as well. And this should bring you great comfort. If You're struggling today. If you're experiencing pain or grief, if you're fed up with temptation and sin, or if you're tired, stressed, and weary, Jesus knows, and He understands, and He's close to you in your struggle. The second big idea about Jesus as the Son of Man is this, number two, It is evidence of Jesus' humility. We just finished 31 weeks going through the book of Philippians, so you guys might remember this passage that we read from Philippians chapter 2. Here's what it says. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. In looking at Jesus as the Son of Man, we are floored by the fact that God would put on flesh in order to save us. Paul describes this emptying of himself in order to take the form of a servant. And this is hard to grasp because we live in a society where we want to do the opposite of emptying oneself. Are you you kidding me? We want to be glorified. We want to be memorialized. We want to be worshipped. We want to wear the best clothes, rock the freshest haircuts, make the most money, live in the flyest house, earn the best degree, have the most followers on Instagram, be recognized and be platformed. And then, in stark contrast, we have Jesus, the Son of Man, who the Bible describes as being born to impoverished teenagers and having to be placed in a manger. The Bible describes him in many instances not even having a place to lay his head. The book of Isaiah says that there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. But when you look at the nativity scene, and when you read the Christmas narrative, I want you to think of the humility of Christ. He traded his throne for a crown of thorns. He traded the worship of angels for the murderous threats of a religious mob. Did you ever consider this? The God of the universe became flesh and had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to walk. He was cradled by Mary and put down for a nap. When you consider Jesus the Son of Man, consider the great humility of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, is humility something that marks you as distinct and unique from the rest of the world? The verse we read in Philippians a moment ago is a call for us to adopt the same attitude of Christ. That attitude is an attitude of humility, not of pride. And As we continue through the Christmas season, there will be a temptation for you to get caught up in the selfishness of the consumeristic society that we live in, to make it about us, about our wants, our needs, our desires. But let's instead remember the humility of Christ, and in turn, let us follow in His example of humility. The third big idea about Jesus as the Son of Man is this, number three, It is evidence of Jesus' divinity. This is what is unique about Jesus. And we've already mentioned this several times. Uh, By the way, next week we're going to take an even deeper dive into this as we talk about Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus is both man and God. And throughout Jesus' ministry, He was able to prove aspects of this by what He did. Uh, For the people in Jesus' day, it wasn't hard to convince them of His humanity. They were able to see Him, touch Him, hear Him, and smell Him but because Jesus was also divine. He had the authority to do things that only someone with divine abilities could do. For example, at a wedding in Cana, he was able to turn water into wine. When he was in the middle of the sea, on a boat, in the middle of a storm, he was able to hush the wind and waves and quiet the storm. When people approached him with deadly or contagious diseases, he was able to heal them. Beyond that, there's even greater acts of divinity that we see throughout the New Testament that prove this fact. For example, Jesus has authority to do things like forgive sin, righteously execute judgment, cast out demons, and rise from the dead. We read of one such example in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus both forgives the sin and heals a paralytic man. In the narrative, some people carry over this paralytic man on a bed of some sort. And here's what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 9. He says this, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And there's that title, Son of Man. Then he told the paralytic, Get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. If you go on to read, you'll see how the people are in awe and wonder and they begin to glorify God for the authority God has given to the Son of Man. Because Jesus wasn't just any guy. He was God in flesh. And this fact led the people to respond in worship. This is the, clu- the conclusion you have to draw when you look at the life of Jesus. This is the decision you have to make. Is Jesus who He claimed to be? When you examine the evidence, does it lead to Jesus, the one who can forgive sins? Because here's the thing, He's either Lord or lunatic. There's no in between. Now, C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, writes this, Either Jesus was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. The question that hangs in the balance for each and every single one of us today is who is Jesus? Is he who he claimed to be? Otherwise, what are we doing here? Why waste our time? But if the evidence leads to Jesus, if He truly lived the perfect and sinless life that we were incapable of living, and if He died in our place for the forgiveness of sin and He rose from the grave, then that changes absolutely everything. This means that Jesus is worthy of our worship and surrender. Maybe this is the first time you understand Jesus this way. You've heard the Christmas story. You have the nativity scene at home. You've been to mass or to church, but this is the first time that you recognize Him for who He really is the savior of the world. And I wanna encourage you to do the only reasonable thing, which is to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to accept God's free gift of grace made available to you in Christ Jesus. As with any true gift, you cannot earn it, you do not deserve it. It is simply a gift which you receive, embrace, cherish, and treasure. If you've yet to put your faith in the true Jesus of the Bible, you have an opportunity to do so today. For all of us here today, what should this truth do to us? As we enter the Christmas season, as we remember the birth of Jesus, as you look at the nativity scene decorating windowsills all over our neighborhood, remember what that means. Remember that it represents the lengths by which God would go in order to redeem whom he loves. Allow it to develop within you an overwhelming sense of gratitude and humility for how madly in love he is with you, so much so that he would enter into your world and live among you. Father, we praise you, God. Who could dream up a God so merciful and so kind and so gracious that he would enter into our mess in order to rescue us from destruction? Thank you for relating to us, understanding our struggles, and being God with us in our calamity. Thank you for your humility, for laying down your life as a sacrifice for our sins, Empower us, Holy Spirit, to adopt the same attitude as Christ. Help us to live as humble examples of Christ in our community. Jesus, we declare you to be God. And as such, we submit and surrender to your Lordship. Wherever our lives are in contradiction to this truth, we pray that you would lovingly correct us and place us back on the course. Thank you for reminding us this Christmas season that you are God who entered into his own creation, put on flesh, who upheld the law, who died in my place so that I can have forgiveness of sin, who conquered the grave so that I can have new life and the promise of eternity. We're grateful and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message Wanna take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Uh, And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday.